Thank you for downloading this lunchtime talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, curator of the 2018 Adelaide Biennial, Erica Green, introduces the 2018 Adelaide Biennial of Australian Art, Divided Worlds. Everyone for coming along to the lunchtime talk on the Adelaide Biennial. Um, I'm Erica Green, I'm the curator of the 2018 Biennial, which is titled Divided Worlds. Uh, we've had a very sort of um, busy opening period, and I don't know if many of you managed to um, get along to some of the vernissage programs on the weekend, where we had a number of artists talking and various different um, presentations, uh, which provided sort of fleshed out a lot of the ideas and provided some of the context for the exhibition. So perhaps there's probably people um, approaching today's talk with very different sort of experiences of the biennial already and maybe not all of you have made it to the various different venues. So I'll just quickly um, give a very brief overview of the sort of biennial as an introduction and then perhaps talk a little bit more specifically on some ideas and then open it up to some questions uh, from the floor. So you can think about anything you'd like to ask me about the exhibition or about some of the works. So just to explain to you and remind you that the Adelaide Biennial um, has been conceived as one exhibition by a single curator. But it is divided over a number of different venues. So in the east, in the Adelaide Botanic Gardens, there's two key venues. There's the Museum of Economic Botany, where you'll see Tamara Dean's beautiful photographs in our nature, and also a major work by the Bidua artist, Christian Thompson, and he's produced this beautiful sound work called Phantom, which is him singing in Bidua language, and he's call, calling up um, the names of various plant species, many of which that have become extinct, uh, that uh, relate to his, where his country and where he comes from using Bidua language, and Bidua language is one of the indigenous language that is considered almost extinct. But Christian has a belief that by speaking at least one word of Bidua, it keeps the language alive. And it's an absolutely glorious, uh, beautiful work to listen to orally. It's got, uh, you know, in the beautiful glass house, the colonial uh, palm house that was uh, built in 1854 with elements imported from Germany and in a way he's reclaiming that space with an indigenous voice about the histories of the indigenous people that have been forgotten since colonisation and the idea of sort of the palm house has a lot of strong associations with um, ideas around colonisation. And then of course in the west there's the Samstag Museum of Art, where there's a number of different artists who are presenting works, and those works tend to have a slightly um, social, sort of political engagement by artists such as Angelica Massetti, um, Emily Floyd, Caleb Sabsabi, uh, and Christian Thompson has got a work there. So it is important also, just stopping on Christian Thompson, that you do visit all the different venues because the work that Christian has um, is presenting at the Samstag Museum is almost a call and response to the work that you'll see in the Palm House. 
And of course, down in the west, there's also the Jam Factory, which is presenting two beautiful bodies of work, a major installation by the South Australian uh, ceramist, Kirsten Quelo. It's a really monumental work. And then there's a work called Naked Flora by um, Colombian-born, now living in Australia for 20 years, Maria Fernanda Cardoso. And then, it really in the heart, we come back to the Art Gallery of South Australia here. And the exhibition in the Art Gallery, I guess, for ease of um, understanding and a little bit of navigation around the biennial, there are probably two elements here. You descend down like, like Orpheus into the underground, the basement of the, of the biennial, into the dark, or you can ascend up into, into the light. Um, I guess with the biennial, um, the title is called Divided Worlds. And I guess the title does suggest that we live in troubled times, where difference and diversity does spawn conflict and discontent, and looking at differences of race and kind, ideology and religion, um, differences of power and opportunity, and differences of sexuality. And you'll see a lot of these sort of ideas of difference in many of the works in the biennial. However, I'm not so interested in this sort of um, duality and, you know, opposition that perhaps is suggested by the idea of divided. I'm perhaps looking at it, and many of the works in the exhibition are looking at the idea of divided as many as parts of many parts of one, and that it can be one or or many parts. And I guess that's really exemplified in the work of Lindy Lee, her work called Life of Stars. Lindy is a practicing Buddhist, and many of the Buddhist philosophies are incorporated into her work that we can be one or many. And that's really exemplified by the work downstairs, which is called True Chien. It's a Buddhist comb where it's, it's essentially a riddle and you need to find the answer within yourself. And it's the story of a young girl and she basically has two lives and then they come together at the end. And the, the question is, well, who is the True Chien? And Chien is the name of, of the girl. And I think that sort of is quite emblematic of, of many of the ideas and my approaches in, in the exhibition. Um, probably, you know, when I was sort of introducing the biennial in the very early stages, I did ask people just to stop for a while and perhaps as a way of sort of giving you a, a visual understanding of the biennial was to think about the idea of, um, of a prism and the idea that, you know, light comes in and the light could represent all sorts of different human values, um, cultural meanings and all manner of different things that have, that light has then concentrated within this prism and then dispersed as a marvellous spectrum. And that spectrum is sort of what the idea and what I'm looking at trying to achieve with, with the biennial and some of the ideas in the biennial. And so there's many different sort of uh, approaches you could make with the biennial. I think I mentioned Lindy Lee with her, with many references towards um, Buddhist, around Buddhist philosophy in her work. 
If we're looking at ideas of spirituality, you can certainly see that in, in the work of John R. Walker. He's got you know, the idea of three playing off on the idea of the Trinity. And you know, John paints landscape, he's a landscape painter, but for him it is very much about embodying the spirit of, of place and the spirit of the landscape. And he's certainly um, influenced by um, artists like Francesca, um, Della Piero and um, William Blake and that idea of the spirit of place and the spirit and that is something that he's trying to capture in his work. Um, John is an artist who's also very interested in music and with the idea of sort of musical beat and picking up those sort of essences of things that we can't really quite put our hand on but we sort of can almost understand. Um, you know, if we're looking at ideas around spiritualism, there's that also, and it's probably not quite as obvious, is perhaps in the work of Caleb Sabsabi, whose work is down at the Samstag Museum. And Caleb has produced a work called 99 Names. And it's a series of 99 photographs that Caleb has taken returning to Lebanon in 2006 after the 33-day war um, in Lebanon. And what he has done with these photographs is overpainted them. And that process of overpainting them, of going through that step-by-step that -step on each work and engaging with each photograph of the destruction or what we now say is collateral damage of what happened to you know, the Beirut in that time, is a way of him sort of connecting and trying to understand what happened. And it's a very meditative process, and it actually draws on his... He's a practicing Sufi, which is the sort of spiritual arm of, of Islam. Um, you're probably aware of many of the Sufis, and that, for him, is, is part of his engagement. It is that process of overpainting those 99 works. And the name of the work, 99 Names, are the, are the beautiful names of the 99 names of Allah and it's broken up into three rows of 33, 33 being a very significant number, as is three, the idea of coming back here to ideas of um, Trinity. And we can also see you know, ideas of, say, spiritualism in perhaps the work of the Ken sisters, um, obviously you know, drawing on a lot of um, you know, ancient uh, creation stories um, and certainly the work out here draws on two stories of the Ken sisters. It's the Yala uh, Honey Ant Dreaming and also the story of the Seven Sisters uh, songline, which is one of the most important, sort of, or one of a very key, sorry, songline that um, is um, told by many Indigenous people across Australia. So the Seven Sisters songline really begins over in, in Western Australia around with the Matu people. And there's a lot of stories around that uh, Seven Sisters in the APY lands, which is where the Ken Sisters come from. And that's a fantastic story. It's got everything in it. It's got lust and love. It's got sex. It's got the story of how the Seven Sisters all worked together and were pursued by sort of a trickster, um, Neary, who's got various different names according to the different sort of language, language groups in Australia. And it, it sort of embodies everything. And then maybe if we're looking at journeys in, in ideas around the spirit, we can perhaps also then look at 
go back to Christian Thompson, where he talks about ideas around spiritual repatriation. He's an Indigenous person, and like many Indigenous people, they are concerned about the repatriation of their own histories and objects back to the people and to uncover those sorts of histories. And Christian's approach is not to take the object and use it in his artwork or to reproduce it. He often will approach the artwork, he will hold it and absorb the aura of the, of the object and then create his work of art by absorbing the aura. And his belief is that by taking on the aura and then representing that work in a contemporary context, he's taking it out of the sort of archives and the unknown and the history and bringing it, it back to life and giving it a new, new voice here today. So that's sort of hopefully a very roundabout way to sort of introduce you just to some of the themes. I think there's many different themes and ideas you can look at with the exhibition in a very sort of, I guess, straightforward way, you know, looking at, at the different approaches to painting, like we've got here the John R. Walker here, quite expressive, drawing on sort of a lot of um, oriental calligraphy, marks of marks, mark making in the landscape, which is a very different approach to how uh, we have here with uh, Lisa Adams, who's painting, who is using painting, and in some ways you could probably look at Lisa's work and think, well, perhaps she could construct that photographically, but for her, like Caleb, it is that very, very slow process of making and understanding and constructing the story that is important to um, Lisa. And Lisa is actually constructing a psychological sort of landscape or narrative in her work. You know, they, they, you know they're sort of quirky, but each, each painting is actually a self-portrait of, of Lisa Adams and, and different sort of things that have happened in her life that she has sort of put together she um, gathers images from all over. She will photograph, uh, get photographs and then reconstruct and then sit in her, her studio. And, you know, her process, for example, is very, very different. She gets the canvas and will build up the image with just a three-hair paintbrush. They're very, very time-consuming, sitting on a flat table and painting them. She's self-taught. And interestingly, Lisa was saying that um, it took her a very long time to realise that she didn't actually have to paint in all the background. She could just leave that as a colour and then build on top. So a lot of her early paintings where she would have something like, the, you know, the car that's hidden by the tree, she actually would paint the whole of the car and then paint the tree on top. And then, of course, you know, we've got other painters. I think I've mentioned Caleb Sabsabi, and then, of course, Louise Hammond, beautiful sort of very luscious, evocative paintings where I think Nick Michovic, um, the director, asked or made one of the most poignant comments of, of the Vernissage talks, and he said with Louise's work, everything about those paintings is happening outside, outside the frame or outside the canvas. Um, I am conscious that there's, you know, 10 minutes left and I would be very, very happy to take any questions or any comments on any aspect of the exhibition that you might have seen or experienced. Happy to talk about how we got this work here. 
um, with great difficulty I might have, you know, um, and great expense. I think we were all shocked to realise that the only way we could um, get this work restored in Japan in an old kabuki theatre that was on tatami mats and all the workmen had to take their shoes off, which increased the expense hugely. Because, you know, to be dragging out large bits of car without any shoes and earning your socks was um, logistically added another complexity and expense to the work. And this fabulous work, it's called, a, it's, Honda, it's a Honda Today car that's been cut up into 120 pieces. It's been bagged using traditional um, wrapping technique. Um, and, you know, that's what a lot of the Cordero Healy's work is about. It is about, you know, our con excessive consumerism, about packing and movement of objects and reforming objects. And obviously the work is called We Hunt Mammoth. And it's a play on the idea of sort of the extinction of the extinct mammoth and, and now the uh, extinction, of perhaps or hopefully, of the fuel-driven car. And it's a lovely play on the idea of the Honda Today car. And they've also got their fantastic car, Mondo Futuro, which is currently parked down in the Botanic Gardens. Has anyone got a question or anything they'd like to... Stephanie, thank you. Roy Amanda's work, for those who might not have seen it yet, is the work that um, uh, you engage as you descend, like Orpheus, down into the dungeons of the art gallery. I guess I've always felt that that's what it feels like, you're, you're descending into this sort of darkened space. Roy Amanda is a local South Australian artist, he's a sculptor, and he is an obsessive fan. And he's always been intrigued about, you know, the idea of, of fandom and he, he loves science fiction and engages in, in a lot of role-playing games. For example, Dungeons and Dragons. And Dungeons and Dragons was one of the first role-playing games. It's a board game, but it is a game that has then led to a lot of online gaming, computer games that um, we, we, older people like me don't necessarily partake in. And I have to say that Roy did make us all play Dungeons and Dragons if we were to understand his work. And when I told my son, when he said, Mum, what's up? I said, I'm playing D&D. <laughs> I didn't get blank for that one. But, so that work is, is, is playing on the idea of Dungeons and Dragons. And it's from a part of the game called The Caves of Chaos. And it's a board game where you, you create your, your own stories, you're given characters, you take on a character, and you walk through and you invent stories um, with someone sort of leading, giving you props and things like that. And this is part of the game, the surface of it, it's part of the game that he's then folded up to reform as this absolute marvellous sculpture of which we then can participate and become part of. And um, but he's also playing on, you know, we used to have those old games where you, or not games, you'd get a kit to make a boat or something out of plastic and you'd fold the bits out. So you'll see a lot of the sort of struts are sort of taken from, from those old sort of plastic kit games with measures where the, the main part would be measured. 
So there's 47 panels that are 1.2 metres square that have got, you know, um, carved into it by a CNC uh, router to create sort of some of the landscape that then the characters that you, you create to go through Dungeons and Dragons. So he's done quite a few works around those sorts of ideas. He did a major work down at the Sandstag several years ago called um, A Slow Crawl to Infinity, which was um, the you know opening text to Star Wars that he recreated as a huge sculpture that sort of went up the sort of 25 metres of the Sandstag Museum and sort of raked up. So he has got a very sort of ambitious sort of idea of chaos and um, you know, when I invited Roy, we've been talking a lot about, you know, game playing and Dungeons and Dragons and, and I said, Roy, I've got this really big difficult space. He said, leave it to me, I'll fill it. And he, and he sure did fill it. And that's partly why we're up here, because it's so crowded down there. You know, and you sort of snake your way through as you go up to different parts of the exhibition. Has anyone else got another question? Yes. Amos Gephardt. Amos has got two works in the biennial. There's the work downstairs called Evervescence, and then there is another work at the Samstag Museum called The Lovers. Amos comes from a filmmaking background, and that was something I was quite interested in, that she's working on that sort of liminal edge of what is uh, visual art practice or film and you know I'm quite interested in you know that the visual arts does absorb all these different sorts of um, cultural influences and practitioners from a what very wide range of practice. The work downstairs Evervescence, it's a very ambitious film work. It's filmed in four different locations. They're quite ancient locations, especially for indigenous people. Um, there's the Lake Mungo, uh, which is the sand dunes. There's Lake Terrell, which is the salt, salt lake. There's the um, Otways, which is down in Victoria that's got a, a sort of a semi-tropical because of a very special environment with lots of ferns and waterfalls. And then there is the Grampians. And what she has, she has done is she has gathered together 40 dancers, and, and they're not necessarily trained dancers, some of them are, uh, from all different types of gender, identity, and body types. And it is about us working together and drawing up that, that primal spirit of, of togetherness and looking at ourselves as, as one. So she also embodies that idea of difference. If you look at the, the people, there are very, very different types but they all work together as one and all sort of drawing from that same, you know, wellspin world of, 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 you know, where we all come from. And so the figures appear to come out and then go back into the landscape. And The Lovers is, is something else. It's another strand of work and it really is one of the most um, tender yet confronting works, I think, of looking at our relationship then with animals and, and, and the idea of sort of love and communication between those animals. It's an extremely powerful, powerful work. Any other questions, comments?
Um, well, look, I hope you all do go to see and wander around the exhibition. They are very, most of the works, or sorry, all of the works in the exhibition are very layered with different sorts of meanings. And what you see on the surface, if you sit and look at it, there's, there's, it's quite, they're very rewarding works. And I think they are very rich and I think they're about you know, exploring, you know, who we are as people and, and all the ideas and issues that we face, you know, as a society now. And um, I do encourage you to go to all the different venues and, you know, come back and revisit the works because you'll find that quite rewarding by looking at a particular work and then going off and then looking at something else. You can start drawing through many, many different threads within, within the exhibition. And that's something that I've really been very thoughtful about in the way I've put the show together. So look, thank you so much. Oh, sorry, one more question. Oh, do you mean by all the words Patrick Pound's works? Sorry? Oh, that's Patrick Pound. So Patrick Pound, that's part of what Patrick Pound does. Patrick Pound is a collector. He goes into the archive and the idea of place. So he's gone into the Art Gallery of South Australia's collection and selected works using, uh, he puts a constraint on his selection and he selected works around the idea of the point of everything. So every work in, that he has selected is around ideas of pointing or the pointedness, vanishing point, dry point, anything that has an idea around point. And so he's brought out all these works in the collection that have very, very, now giving them a very different meaning. And he has then supplemented them with works from his own collection, and they're all around pointing. So you do need to look at them carefully, and you ask yourself, "What's the point of that one?" But it, so that's that's what the, that's what that is. So he's reconstructed using the gallery's um, uh, collection, and certainly, you know, that that was something important too in, in the idea of the biennial was ideas around place, and certainly. That's why Patrick has his work here, because he's drawing on the art gallery's wonderful collection, or collections, so across all the collection forms. Thank you. Thank you so much.